Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're finishing up our series called The Best Christmas Ever. But throughout the series, we haven't been talking about what you can do to buy the best gifts for everyone on your list, or how you can have the best holiday light display in your neighborhood, or even how you can bake the best Christmas cookies. Now, we haven't really been talking about what you can do to make this the best Christmas ever at all. And that's because no matter how hard you try to make this Christmas perfect, it isn't going to work. So instead of giving you some kind of false hope that you might really be able to make this the best Christmas ever, what we've actually been talking about is how you can make the best out of whatever this Christmas may bring. And to help us do that, to help you figure out how you can make the best out of this Christmas, whatever it may bring, what we've been doing is focusing in on some of the reasons why we want to have the perfect Christmas to begin with. So over the last few weeks, we've talked about the fact that we want to have the perfect Christmas because we want to make up for all the times that we haven't been perfect in our own lives. And we want to have a perfect Christmas because we don't want people to complain. And we want to have a perfect Christmas because we think everyone else around us is having a perfect Christmas. Well, in this sermon, we're going to be talking about one more reason why we want to have a perfect Christmas. And the interesting thing about the reason we're going to be talking about today is that it's at the root of everything else we've talked about throughout the season. So with that in mind, let's get right into this episode sermon. Christmas celebration. 
The week before that, we talked about the song that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we want to make up for all the times that we haven't been perfect in our lives. And then in the first week of the series, we saw that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we think everyone all around us is having a perfect Christmas. That is, everyone but us. Now, I know when you think about those three reasons, it doesn't feel like they have very much in common. They actually feel like they've got nothing in common at all. But believe it or not, there is actually something that all three of these things have in common. So let's kind of explore each one of these reasons a little bit deeper so we can understand what the root is behind all of them. So during the first week of the series, we saw that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we think everybody else around us is having a perfect Christmas. But you know what? This isn't just a mindset that we get into during the Christmas season. When we look at other people, we tend to think that their lives in general are just at least better than ours. So we think that they may go on the perfect vacations, or they may have the perfect job, or most importantly, we think that everybody else around us seems to have perfect relationships. So when I say that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we want to, uh, because we think everybody around us is having a perfect Christmas, that's not the whole story. We actually want to have a perfect Christmas because we want to have perfect relationships like we think everyone else has. And that's because when we have perfect relationships, we think that we will be loved. Second week during the series, we talked about the, the fact that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we want to make up for all the times that we haven't been perfect in our own lives. But why do we want to do that? Why do we want to make up for all the times that we haven't been perfect? Well, we want to make up for all the times that we haven't been perfect so that we can repair the relationships that we've broken along the way. And if we fix the relationships that we've broken along the way, then we will be loved. And then last week, when we talked about and saw that we want to have a perfect Christmas because we want to keep people from complaining. Well, why do we want to keep people from complaining? Aside from the fact that it gets really annoying when you're around people that complain all the time. Why do we want to keep people from complaining? Well, for the most part, it's because when somebody complains about something that we say or we do, we internalize it. We take it really, really personally. So, if we can put together a perfect Christmas where nobody complains, what that means is nobody is upset with us. And if nobody is upset with us, then we will be loved. So, whether you've thought about it this way or not, whether you've realized it or not, one of the reasons why we work so hard every single year to make every Christmas the best Christmas ever is simply because we want to be loved. We want to have the perfect Christmas because we want to be loved. We want to have the perfect Christmas because we want to be loved. Now, you know what? I wish that I could stand up here today and tell you that if you were just able to buy everybody on your Christmas shopping list the best Christmas present they have ever received, that they will all love you more than they ever have before. But I can't. And I wish that I could stand up here and tell you that if you were just able to put up the best holiday lights display that your neighborhood has ever seen, that your neighbors will love you more. But I can't. And I wish that I could stand up here today and tell you that if you just were able to bake the best cookies that your kids or grandkids have ever eaten, that they will love you more. But I can't. Instead, what I can tell you today is that the point of the first Christmas is to show you exactly how God feels about you. 
first Christmas is to show you exactly how God feels about you. But before we can dig deeper into the story of the first Christmas, I've got to ask you a question first. How do you think God actually feels about you? Think about that just a second. How do you really think that God feels about you? Now, we're in church today, so you would think that would be a pretty easy question for most of us to answer. But that's because many of us that are worshiping together right now, whether you're here in person or you're worshiping with us online, you grew up hearing the words, Jesus loves me, this I know, or the Bible tells me so, since before you could even walk. And you've been able to recite the words, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, since before you could even read. And then when you actually started to be able to read and you read the Bible, you run across passages like we find in Isaiah 43, verse 4, where we're told that you are precious in God's eyes, that you are honored, and that God loves you. Or in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, God tells us, God tells you, that he will love you with a love that lasts forever. So it shouldn't be that difficult for us to figure out how God feels about us. When you put all of this together, it should be easy to realize that God loves you. a few of us that are worshiping together right now, that when I ask you how God feels about you, your first thought isn't that God loves you. You know why that is? It's because you know you. And when you think about who you are, it's easy to think about all the times in life that you failed. It's easy to think about all the times in life that you messed up. It's easy to think about all the times in life that you haven't lived up to the ideal or that you've missed the mark. And when you think about all the faults and failures and mistakes and missteps that you've made along the way, it's easy to wonder if God can love someone like you. And I've got a feeling that there are people that feel that way today because I can tell you I've felt that way myself. There have been plenty of times in my life when I've wondered if God can love someone like me. And yet, I know that that might be a little bit weird to hear your preacher say because there are a lot of people who have this belief that their preachers, their pastors are perfect. And if you're one of those people who believe that your preacher, that your pastor is perfect, I've got bad news for you. We're not. Well, nobody said amen to that. It's true. We're not perfect. And because of that, when I look at myself, there are plenty of times that it's easy for me to wonder if God loves me. Like when I think about the fact that I was the pastor at this church, when we had to make the decision to sell our old the only place that our church had called home for 60 years. I felt like a failure. And I wondered if God could love someone like me. As we came out of a pandemic, we became a portable church, and we saw a handful of people walk away from our congregation during that time. I wondered if I was making mistakes as a leader of the church. And I wondered if God could love someone like me. Even as I look around the sanctuary now and I see that there are fewer people worshiping with us today than were worshiping with us before the pandemic, it makes me wonder if I am making mistakes and missteps as I'm continuing to try to lead the church, and that makes me wonder if God can love someone like me. And you know what? I'm not saying all that stuff just because I needed to add a little more time into the sermon so you felt like you got your money's worth out of it. 
And I'm not saying that's not because I want somebody to come up and pat me on the back after the service finishes and tell me how great a job I'm doing as the pastor of the church. I'm saying all this stuff because it's the truth. It's the truth. Even as someone who has been in ministry, pastoring churches for 15 plus years, there are times in my life when I wonder if God can love someone. a little bit of time to think about how you would answer the question. And now that you've had a little bit of time to think about how you would respond to it, I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. And I want you to listen to what I'm about to say because what I'm about to say is the most important thing that you are ever going to hear me say. It's the most important thing that you will ever hear me say in a sermon that I preach in a conversation that we share. So you ready for it? I hope you're listening, because here's the most important thing that you are ever going to hear me say. God loves you. Seriously. God loves you. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made in the past. It doesn't matter how many times you feel like you have failed before. It doesn't matter how many missteps you've made along the way. God loves you. It's for God to show you how much God loves you. So if you've got a Bible close by, let me encourage you to go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Now, Luke chapter 2, of course, is where the whole story of the first Christmas really plays out for us. But we're going to skip past the opening portion of Luke chapter 2, the part where Jesus is actually born. We're going to fast forward to what happens right after Jesus is born. So we're going to start reading in Luke chapter 2. Verse 8. So Luke 2, verse 8. Here's what it says. It says, Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone all around them. And they were terrified. The angel said, Don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you. Wonderful, joyous news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great assembly of heavenly forces was, was with the angel praising God. And they said, glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happening. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. Now, it's almost impossible to imagine the first Christmas without thinking about the shepherds, right? I mean, it just wouldn't feel like Christmas if you couldn't put those little figurines and those cute little shepherd boys either holding little sheep in their arms or leading a flock beside the manger inside of your nativity sets. But these ideas, these depictions that we see of the shepherds are actually pretty far from the reality of who the shepherds were when Jesus was born. Now, 
Don't get me wrong here. Shepherding was once a proud profession for the people of Israel. It was an occupation, a profession, a way of life that was passed down from the fathers of our faith, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, all the way down to Moses and beyond. But something happened to this once proud profession when the people of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. And that's because Egypt was a far more agrarian society. So the Egyptians felt like their land was better used to raise crops than it was uh, to feed livestock. And because of that, shepherds were forced further down the social ladder. And eventually they would be pushed to the corners of just about every ancient culture there was. And that's where the shepherds found themselves on that winter's night that was so deep. They were out in the fields keeping watch over their flocks at night. Just about nobody in Israel was thinking about the shepherds at all. The reality is that the only time that most people in Israel even thought about the shepherds to begin with was when the shepherds either inadvertently or more frequently intentionally led their flocks onto a piece of land that didn't belong to them so that their sheep could graze. And it's because of this dishonest streak that the people of Israel believed that the shepherds had, that there were actually laws in Israel that forbid folks from buying wool or milk or a kid, as in a baby sheep or goat, not as in a human child, from shepherds. Because it was believed that anything you bought from a shepherd, well, there's a good chance it could have been stolen goods. This is who the shepherds really were. The shepherds were nobodies. The shepherds were crooks and criminals that were living on the fringes of society in ancient Israel. Shepherds were treated like they were less than human. Or to put it another way, the shepherds we read about in the story were the last people that we would expect God to love. But at the first Christmas, the shepherds are the very first people that God invites to meet his newborn son. That's right. The first people that God invites to meet his newborn son, they're not rich, they're not powerful. The first people that God invites to meet his son, they're not kings or queens. The first people that God invites to meet his son, they're not pastors, they're not priests. The first people that God invites to meet his son, they're not celebrities, social media influencers. people that God invites to meet his son are crooks and criminals. The first people that God invites to meet his son are outcasts and misfits. The first people that God invites to meet his son are imperfect people. Just shows us exactly how God feels about us. God shows you exactly how God feels about you. You are loved by God. You are loved by the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them. You are loved by the God who entered into this world when Jesus was born. 
you were loved by the God who laid down his life for you when Jesus was crucified on that cross. You were loved by God. And yeah, I know, sometimes that can feel a little bit hard to believe. But it's absolutely the truth. You are loved by God. You know what, I'm not just telling you that because I'm your pastor. I'm not just telling you that because when the service comes to an end, I want you to have warm, fuzzy feelings. I'm telling you that because it's absolutely true. You are loved by God. Because God doesn't just love the rich and the powerful. God doesn't just love kings and queens. God doesn't just love priests and pastors. God loves you. This is what the first Christmas reminds us. Christmas reminds us that God loves you so much that God wanted to come into this world to experience everything that you experience in life. God wanted to experience the ups and the downs, the joys and the triumphs, the pain and the sorrow, so that God knows what it's like to be you. God loves you so much that he wanted to come into this world to lay down his life for you so that there can be absolutely nothing that stands between you and God. God wanted to be able to forgive you of anything that could possibly separate you from him. So, as you start getting together to celebrate Christmas with your family and your friends over the course of the next week or so, I want you to realize something that's really important. You don't have to make this Christmas the best Christmas ever to be loved. You don't have to make this Christmas perfect in order to be loved. And why don't you have to make this the best Christmas ever and a perfect Christmas in order to be loved? Because you are already loved by God. If you start to realize that this Christmas, if you start to realize, to even begin to understand how much God loves you, well, you know what? You might realize that that's the best gift you have ever been given. Experiencing God's love for the very first time could make this the best Christmas you've ever had. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we are so thankful for the first Christmas. We are thankful that Jesus came into this world. We are thankful that the very first people that you invited to come your son, are people like us, imperfect people who didn't really belong. God, you know that there are plenty of times in all of our lives where we feel like we're failures. We feel like all we do are make mistakes and mess up and miss the mark, God. So you know that there are plenty of times when we feel like we're not worthy of your love. We feel like you couldn't possibly love someone like us. But God, this story in the first Christmas, it shows us that you love imperfect people, that you invite us to be in a relationship with you. But God, my prayer for everyone who can hear my voice right now is that you start to give us just a little glimpse this year of just how much you love us. Help us start to appreciate the kind of love that you have for us, the things you want to send your son into this world to be one of us. God, help us to realize that it doesn't take having a 
Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has shown you that you don't have to make this Christmas the best Christmas ever in order to be loved. You don't have to make this Christmas perfect in order to be loved. And that's because you are already loved by God. God loves you more than you can possibly imagine. And there is nothing that you're going to do, nothing that you can do that will ever change the way that God feels about you. So, as you get ready to celebrate Christmas over the coming week or so, I hope that you would never forget what this season is all about. This season shows us that no matter what, God absolutely loves you. Well, that does wrap up this series called The Best Christmas Ever, but we haven't quite made it to Christmas Day yet. So when our next episode drops, that sermon is going to be preached on Christmas Day. So we're going to spend a little bit of time reflecting on what it means for Jesus to come into this world. So we hope that you'll join us whenever our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Or you can come and worship with us live on Christmas Day at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you come and join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week, that you enjoy your Christmas celebrations, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.